You're listening to your favorite film podcast, The Film File, the film show for film geeks by film geeks. Roll on, episode 103. And hello and welcome to The Film File. I'm Lee Ford. I'm Andy Meakin. And this is The Film Show for Film Geeks by Film Geeks, presented by a couple of old film geeks. Uh, with quite a tale to tell over the last Less week. Less of the old. <laughs> Maturer then. No, that even sounds yeah. worse, doesn't it? I'm still 21. You're not a millennial. <laughs> oh, no, yeah. Good point. There you go. I don't want to be a millennial. I'm still 31. <laughs> <laughs> In my head, I'm still 35. That was my uh, that was my go-to age, I think. 35 was... <laughs> I was uh, old enough to know better, but still young enough to still do stupid things. And... Uh, <laughs> And get away with yeah. them. So yeah, thirty-five was a great age for me. That was uh, they, they were my wonder years, so to speak. TV series due any day now. <laughs> um, so since we spoke to you last, uh, Andy was feeling a bit crock on the yeah. last show, and he was about to go out for his uh, uh, belated Christmas uh, night out with with the guys, and you were worried, Andy. You were concerned that this might be your moment to. Um, yeah pick up the old covid however yeah, and... spoilers <laughs> yeah i mean yeah like last week editing the show from last week because i had coughs and splutters and croaks throughout it so most of the edits that had to get taken out were of me suddenly going i did keep in them for all the radio listeners out there the moment when you kept breaking my concentration <laughs> <laughs> because i, I can it was hilarious. It's just listening back to that, and it's just like, as I'm like, would you just be quiet? <laughs> <laughs> Stop interrupting me. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I thought that maybe this is it, because sore throat, I was feeling a bit heavy in the chest, and it's like, oh, is this it? Am I not going to go to the staff Christmas party? Did a you, COVID test. Absolutely you were, clear. You clear, weren't you? You went to the staff Christmas party. I'm assuming it was good fun. Yeah, it was a good laugh, although because I, 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 I hadn't been sleeping, I ended up having to dart early on in the evening because i felt myself starting to crash i was starting to like pass out great night uh, i rode the rodeo bull for 10 seconds um, is that a euphemism or is that uh, uh is that actually <laughs> no, there we, was an actual rodeo we bull. booked out a place called broncos in sheffield Never heard um of it. Never heard it's of it. It, it's near the city hall it's just around the back of the city hall it's one of those venues back there and you'll find a hashtag got, for it when we do the show notes it was a complete private party, uh, so we had the whole place to ourselves. Drinks were free, and uh, the rodeo bull was on for people to do a challenge to try to win £50 by getting the best time. The best time was about 77 seconds. I managed 10 seconds, and I feel proud of myself for that 10 seconds. I feel proud of myself that I actually got onto the bull, because <laughs> I'm not the most felt of people. Um, I'm, I'm a bit um, larger in the frame, and... I, I worried that I'd get over to there and try to get on and struggle to climb. I was just like, nope. I did the triple bounce thing where you just hop, 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 and then just spring yourself on. Landed perfectly. Um, shame I couldn't stay on the thing. <laughs> but it was a good laugh. I mean, the team were all having a great time. We got, I got loads of videos of people on the bull, edited them all together to the Jackass theme um, for the team page. And yeah, it was, a, it was a good buzz. It was great to see, like, because we did a big recruitment drive on the run to Christmas. So there's a lot of like newer members of staff who, you know, hadn't, they, they worked with the team, but they hadn't really got to know the team. So it was a great chance for the old and new to come together. And old and new coming together is going to be a theme of uh, 
one of the films later on in the reviews because I review I'm reviewing Scream this week. Um, but the plot twist that Lee is talking about <laughs> is, you know, there's me doing like worried about getting COVID. So I do a COVID test. And what happens, Lee? Bang. I get COVID. So uh, I was okay when we recorded the show. And I've had a bit of a sniffle, but nothing more than that. Not, not even feeling particularly poorly, just a bit of a sniffle. Cut to Tuesday morning. Uh, I get up for work and my other half is is feeling really crook. She had been the night before and was feeling um, quite unwell. I just I had one of those Tuesday mornings and you think, oh, it was getting difficult to get out of bed, but that was about it. Um, set off to work. I've got about an hour's drive before I get into work. I get a phone call en route saying, oh no, I've tested positive. And it was like, ah. Now, um, guidelines, as, as you know, are you still have to work. You don't go as you used to into self-isolation. It suggests that you, you carry on doing your day, day job, keeping masks on, etc., social distancing. So I get into work, do a test, and indeed, I too tested positive so an about turn uh came back but didn't feel particularly poorly a bit tired but that is about it in fact managed to continue functioning and and working Mm. online and then a couple of days later i think it was more like uh, either a bad cold or a light case of the flu now i'm still a bit gravelly still a bit tired and wasn't at all like the last time I got COVID, so I'm guessing being triple vaccinated kind of kind of meant that, you know, it, it, it wasn't, the effects weren't that bad. But I guess the moral of the story is it doesn't matter how many times you've been vaccinated, you can still pick this thing up and you just get a very reduced version of it. If I hadn't been triple vaccinated, if I had had it again, I think I would have been in dire straits because there was one yeah. time when I had it I had it the first time, which I had one night and I, I didn't think I was going to make it through the night because my breathing was so shallow. I was gasping for breath and, and going to sleep that I I, I wouldn't have been surprised if uh, I'd, I'd ended up going into hospital. Uh, however, I didn't, uh, but my other half was absolutely worried about it. Um, but nothing like that. I, I've been able to function, go to work. I've just not felt great. It's okay when you sat down doing nothing, but when you get up to do yeah. like cooking or, or stuff around the house, then you go, blimey, I need to sit down. Um, but yeah, so back on the, on the COVID bandwagon, surely by now I've, I am generating enough antibodies to, to fight off bubonic plague, let alone COVID. You're just trying uh, to collect all the variants, aren't you? It's, it's yeah, like I, I know. I'm going through, I've got my variants. It's like Pokemon. I've, I've got, uh, I've got the... <laughs> got to uh, catch it all. <laughs> I've, had the, I've had the Kent um, and I've had the uh, uh, Omicron, whatever's next. Bring it on. Bring it on. Let's add to the collection. <laughs> Omicron, yeah. I choose you. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a strange old world that we live in. in. And it kind of, you, you, at some point, I have to be honest, you, your mind wanders over to the fact of going, you know, is it worth getting the vaccine? And then think about what the effects could have been if you hadn't. This is the thing is that the anti-vaxxers always say you can still catch it even if you've been vaccinated. It's like, yeah, but you, your body fights it straight away and you don't suffer the symptoms as harshly and you've got less chance of transferring it. Yeah. That's what the vaccine is. It's a vaccine, not an inoculation. I keep saying this, people, and I'm hoping that any <laughs> anti-vaxxers out there will actually listen in. It's a vaccine not an inoculation. Inoculation would mean you wouldn't catch it. Vaccine means your body's ready to fight it. 
learn some science, people. Learn some science. Don't take all your science from a Facebook meme. Yeah, while you're sat on the toilet, do it thinking this is research. There are people who've gone to university for years and years and studied and studied uh, virology and, and that kind of thing and vaccines, not sat on the toilet for 10 minutes. Would you trust an accountant to come and build you a house? No, you wouldn't. You'd, you'd trust a builder because they're an expert. So when it comes to medical things, listen to the experts. Yeah, I don't know how to fix a car. I know guys who can because they're better trained at it than I am. And and, and this I, I is take one apart. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I wouldn't even put it that way. I'm not that great. I'll put it back together and there'll be bits missing, but, you know. It's... It reminds me of that, uh, what we do in the Shadows episode where they rebuild the car. <laughs> but, the, you know, the thing is, is the thing is, is that I'm, I'm pretty sure, uh, and, and you've just, you just made the argument that if I hadn't had the vaccine, I would certainly not be in a great way. Yeah. And, um knowing what it was like when I was unvaccinated and got it got it last time, the two different uh, ball games entirely. I'm just feeling run down. But you know what? I get a flu jab every year, and I have had flu. I hope I never get it again, but I get a flu jab every year. And I've had, you know, I've had uh, um, my jabs for when I was a kid for uh, rubella and all those sorts of things, you know, um, chicken pots, mumps, and, and whatever it has when you're a kid. And... Um, you know, because that's what you did. And that's what you do to be a part of society. So, you know, if there's ever a positive spin that you can put on why people should get the vaccine, if Lee hadn't been vaccinated, he might not be up to recording this today. And you, dear <laughs> listeners out there, would be listening to me talk for one hour 20 We've all on the own. Guys. And we know how that turns out. Yeah. So, uh, you know, be thankful for the vaccine because it means that <laughs> I've got Lee to bounce things off and he, he can rein me in again or disrupt me. But <laughs> yes, any, any of those will, will count. So what do we got on the show for you this week? Well, actually, no, before we do that, I'm going to mention one thing. I've not seen much this week. I'll be perfectly honest. I've just not felt up for it. As simple as that. Yeah. But I did rewatch The Eternals, which was interesting going back to it. Now, everything I think we talked about or the critiques we had of that film still apply. Nothing's changed. However, watching it again, I didn't notice some nuances and subtleties I didn't catch the first time. Still not my favourite Marvel movie, but but they do take some chances with it. The fact mm. that it doesn't feel like a Marvel movie is, you know, and I said this at the time, damned if you do and damned if you don't. Everybody's saying, oh, yeah, it's a formula, break the formula, and then go, oh, we want the formula. <laughs> But uh, it was interesting revisiting, in interesting because we watched it as a family and the the child enjoyed it, stayed through to the end. And my other half, even though she found fault with it, uh, I think she sat through this more than she sat through any other Marvel movie. And, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting to go back and revisit it. I've got a sneaking suspicion it will find its feet on Disney Plus more so than it did in the yeah. cinema. Yeah, uh, I I still need to revisit it. Um, I know it landed last week on the service, but I've been too busy with loads of other films. You have things uh, that we need I've, to review. I've been, I've been very busy, uh, so busy that I'm only going to talk about three of the films this week. Right. But I could have quite easily spoken about five or six different films that I've seen. Um, but I've I've narrowed it down to. You remember last week that I generally had a bad week of films. They weren't great. Yeah. yeah. Um. Well, this week more than makes up for it. This this has given me a huge love of cinema all over again. So what do we have in this week's show? Andy's going to be reviewing... Boiling Point, 
the electrical life of Louis Wayne and Scream. We're going to be doing our deep dive this week into Richard Linklater's Before Sunrise. And of course, before any of that, we've got ourselves a big stack of news in the item we call the news. So we're going to start off, as we always do, with the box office. And are we going to see Spidey still in that number one position? Or is it going to be slashed out of that position by Scream? Andy, what we got as far as box office goes? So, yeah, after a month of box office dominance, indeed, Spider-Man finally unwebbed itself from the top spot as Scream proved popular with audiences and took that number one position at the US box office. It ended the weekend on $34 million in the US, clearing the $24 million budget with ease and well and truly on its way to profit. The fifth film in the series is proving a lot more popular than the fourth entry did, which is the only one in the series that struggled to find an audience. Once again, highlighting that the January release date for horrors seems to pay off. There's a lack of competition, so that definitely helps. Whether the film has legs to keep running is yet to be seen, but the general response to the film has been quite positive, so good word of mouth should serve it well. Spider-Man this weekend took another $25 million at the US, holding second place. The film has now made $702 million in the US alone and is up to $1.6 billion worldwide. In the UK, it's a slightly different story, with Spidey still keeping the top spot with £3.2 million and with Scream taking £2.5 million to nab second place. Those are the big guns. Anything in the lower divisions fighting for supremacy, and I'm guessing the 355 is completely over by now. Well, in the lower tiers in the US, we've got Sing 2 in third place. The animated movie, which is still yet to arrive on UK screens, has already taken $121 million in the US and has a worldwide total of $217 million. The 355 continues to drag through the depths in fourth place. It's now up to 8.7 million in the US and 11.4 million worldwide. It's not going to get much more. And the Kingsman dropped to fifth with a US total to date of 29 million, which takes it to $93 million worldwide. Here in the UK, Kingsman retained third place, Clifford's took fourth place and Licorice Pizza in fifth. But the interesting one is bubbling under, further down on the list, about number 11, Boiling Point, which I'll be talking about later in the show, which only had a very limited release on its first week and expanded its release slightly in the second week to not only have more venues added, but each of those venues then did more per screen than what it did on week one. The buzz around the film is driving business to mean that it's become more successful on week two than what it did on week one. So that's the box office. What do we got news-wise? Right. Well, let's just uh, have a couple of quick ones to start the news off. Black Panther has now recommenced shooting as planned. Uh, but the production was suspended back in November, as we discussed on the show, due to uh, Letitia Wright. Had the injury that she suffered earlier in 2021 still hadn't healed up properly. So they've been shooting all the scenes without her. And it was literally like left to bring her back into the team to shoot at all of her moments on screen. And they had to wait until her injury had been um, sorted out. Obviously, because she had some anti-vax ideologies, uh, some people thought that she wasn't going back because she wasn't allowed to go back because of vaccination rulings, etc., etc. And loads of people were writing her off and saying, they've got to recast her because she won't be able to reshoot because they're not going to let her back. Well, the reshooting, so in your face, all you haters out there. <laughs> the film is due in November this year, November the 11th. 
whether this late recommencing of shooting is going to delay that is uncertain at this point in time. But no word from the Marvel studio has even hinted that they're planning to move it. So it, it's possible that they've been doing a lot of the post-production elements without the cast anyway in the background, and they've only got the work with rights to be done. So it might not delay it. But I wouldn't be surprised if it does get shunted. And that take it into uh, either into December or into next year. If anything, it, if it does get moved, I think it'll get moved to like March next year. And to be honest with you, I think that that might actually benefit other films at that time of year, because we know that when we get to December this year, you've got both Aquaman 2 and Avatar 2 coming out in the same week. One of them is going to move. Now, if Black Panther Wakanda Forever was to move to next year, that would open up that mid-November slot for one of them to go, we'll have that. And I reckon Aquaman 2 would go for that slot. And as you pointed out, just because principal filming has, has, has been stopped while they've been waiting, that doesn't mean that they're doing B-roll stuff. Doesn't mean that yep. they're not doing uh, any uh, of the the elaborate effects work. All this would have been carried on, including editing. When we think about a film stopping, it doesn't stop the the entire uh, production. It stops one element of the production, and other other elements are carried on in the background. And and you know um, that includes editing the film together. So while they would they'll lose something at the at one point they will gain extra time for this at some other point so nothing completely ever stops the the production yeah. hasn't dwindled to a standstill we'll we'll see in the coming months i mean it's it's still most of the year away although it's it will soon be christmas let's be honest um, the, yeah the years fly by <laughs> and you know what there's been some some speculation around black panther as well over the last week have you seen any of these uh any of these things that have, have sort of cropped up in the last week about the inclusion of a certain Doctor Doom. I mean, this is all pure speculation, so make it what you will, and we are not sort of condoning it in any way. But it is pure speculation that Doctor Doom may have joined the cast. Um, We do know that actor Winston Duke will have a much more expanded role as M'Baku in this uh, latest film. Uh, We do know that Namor... And his sister Namorita, I think her name is, yeah. are, are going to appear in this film. But other than that, we know very, very little about it. And talking of, of rumours that are flying around the internet, and again, they are purely just rumours, is that John Krasinski is joining the cast of Doctor Strange 2 in uh, a role that is pure fan speculation as Reed Richards. Nothing yeah out there to confirm that just a whole bunch of geeks saying stuff there's a load of speculation at the moment because we do know that john watts fresh off the um, back of uh some some film about some guy called spider-man who one of these <laughs> days they will reveal his identity he, he's prepping aspects for fantastic four so any rumors of dr doom getting inserted at this point in time would kind of make sense if they're starting to lay the groundwork for the Fantastic Four coming in. But on the subject of John Watts, he's also signed on to bring back the Final Destination series for a sixth film. Yeah, he's doing that as a producer, isn't he? Yeah, yeah, because he's busy with Fantastic Four. But he's been given the production charge and like trying to get it all together with Laurie Evans-Taylor and Guy Busick, who are both writing the screenplay. Uh, the first five films, I can't believe it's been 2011 that the last one came out. Really? They ran for that decade leading up to 2011. 
And it followed, for those who've never seen the Final Destination, each film followed groups of people who were seemingly stalked by death after they narrowly escape a tragedy. The first one was very smart and very clever. The franchise turned into uh, let's show off what kind of like trickery and effects we can do and got a bit generic by the end of it. But as with everything at the moment, there's a reboot sequel or requel, as we're now referring to them, which is getting made for HBO Max. It's apparently not going to be a complete fresh take on it. It is going to pick up from the previous films. Okay. Anything else? Uh, Netflix have lined up two back-to-back sequels for Red Notice. The Ryan Reynolds, Rock the Dwayne Johnson and Gal Gadot-led action heist movie. The film, the first film was poorly received critically. And let's be honest, it was an average experience at best. It, but it was a huge hit for the service. I've seen some people online who've translated the amount of numbers of people who've watched it into bo- what that would have been box office figures. And it would have been a 1.4 billion film. So it's no shock that that film's get, going to get a franchise. Even the end scene of that was basically, hey, franchise, guys. Just opened the door, didn't it? It did. Uh, the idea is to keep the core three cast involved, but also bring in new faces alongside them to go for, down that Ocean's Eleven kind of route where you just get a good ensemble mix of people. Rawson Marshall Thurber is currently writing the next two films and the plans are to start filming in early 2023. I'm, I'm split on this one because I did enjoy elements of Red Notice. I yeah. just wish that they had, a, they had have edited it better. That's the problem that it had. It kind of didn't need to be as long as it was. It was like fast food. You kind of enjoyed it while you're having it. When it's done, highly forgettable. But kind of like fast food, you think, yeah, if another one comes my way, I'll, I'll devour that one as well. It was okay. There was nothing to, there was nothing that was outstanding about it. But boy, did yeah. it, it pass quite easily a couple of hours of just being entertained. And sometimes that's all you need. It was really one of those when they used to say, you take your brain out uh, and, yeah. and you just just get down to it. And it is just one of those. I got down to it and um, it was okay. It was simple as yeah. that. It was just okay. There was nothing outstanding about it. But did I hate it? No, I certainly didn't. And talking of Gal Gadot. You she's... stole my segue. God Am damn I? you. Attached <laughs> to Star in an updated version of To Catch a Thief. I'll let you run with the rest of it, seeing as I've stole your thunder. I've stole your Gadot. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Hitchcock's 1955 classic To Catch a Thief is getting brought to a new generation with a new interpretation. The original saw Cary Grant as the retired cat burglar who must prove his innocence when he's the prime suspect being suspected of returning to his old game. Plot details on this new interpretation are currently unknown, but Eileen Jones is writing and Gadot, Jason Fasano and Neil Moritz will produce you get people say, how do you, why remake something? Grr, remakes, the abomination. This film's like 60 odd years old. I mean, it's. <laughs> I'm betting the majority of our listeners and film fans out there won't have seen the original To Catch a Thief, but we'll go and see this. Yeah. So it's okay talking about, yeah, why bother remaking it? But if you've never seen the original, I have and I love it. Yeah. But I bet the majority of folks out there, and, and no disrespect to you guys, won't have seen this unless you're a bit of a film file. Yeah. It's a chance it. to bring an old story to a new audience who might not have sought out the old story or might not be aware of it. I mean, over the decades, we've seen some great revisits of old properties. Uh, one of my favourites being the Thomas Crown Affair. Yeah. That was a, a, a solid remake of a really good film. So never write off a remake. 
just because something gets gets remake on it, do not write it off and instantly dismiss it as, oh, why are they doing this? There's no originality anymore. No, it's a way to continue to tell stories. It's the fireside storytelling tradition in yeah. film form. Uh, talking of remakes, if I'm stealing your thunder again, um, did you ever see a movie called Hello, High Water? Starred Chris Pine, I didn't Ben know. Foster, Jeff Bridges. Good movie. Uh, very small, low-key. Uh, apparently that's getting a TV series uh, remake. Whether it's going to sort of continue the characters, I can't imagine Chris Pine uh, starring in it. But it was sort of almost a latter-day kind of Robin Hood sort of story. And as it was brought to us by writer Taylor Sheridan, who has also got a, a bit of a profile now as a TV producer, it's going to be interesting to see uh, where this comes. Will it sort of follow the outline of the series or will it be some sort of a sequel to the series. But um, interesting. Watch this space. On another TV-related um, adaptation from a film, the 2011 film that underperformed, I think it should have done a lot more, Real Steel, which yeah, has Hugh Jackman fighting robots. I've got a lot of love for Real Steel. It's just, it, it was a great Rocky with robots, and it had a lot of heart to it. Well, Disney Plus are now developing a TV series based on that film. In the film, for those who didn't watch it, and seriously, go and find it and watch it. You'll de- you deserve it. Uh, Hugh Jackman played a struggling ex-boxer who reconciles with his son and uses an old sparring robot to enter the world of robot boxing. Uh, the series is in early development with a search for writers going on at the moment. Sean Levy, who was behind the first film, uh, Bob Zemeckis, Jack Rapke, Jacqueline Levine, Susan Montford and Don Murphy are all executive producing. And I'm, I'm interested because I've always wanted there to be more of that world. I thought it was an interesting world setting. I loved the idea of it. I've always thought that they could really expand this out. A TV series could do it treats. Funny thing, I bought The Boy Real Steel as a bit of a Christmas stocking filler because it was super, super cheap. And I thought, you know what? When we're looking for a family film, Real Steel is one of those family films that we could all sit down and, and watch yeah. together. And uh, we've still not got round to it. But you know what? Maybe, maybe the rest of today, because I'm not leaving the house. <laughs> can't leave the <laughs> yeah, house. So may as well fill it with films. Yeah. And also on TV news, uh, beloved TV fan favourite series, Quantum Leap, which has long been rumoured to get a reboot or sequel treatment, but nothing ever came of it. A pilot has now been officially greenlit for what mm. is planned to be a sequel to the original series. Uh, the original series ran from, now this made me feel old, 1989 <laughs> to 1993. It was a good, Man. fun series. In the time when, if you wanted to watch it again, you had to record it as opposed to just finding it out there. Yep. It starred Scott Bakula and Dean Stockwell, who recently passed away, and, and was a, a beloved series it was formulaic in the way those are yep. but it played with some pretty big themes interesting to see where they go with it and I'm, I'm, i like the idea of it being a sequel as opposed to just a, a reboot of it because there was a lot about that world that was unexplained well the original series saw sam beckett played by scott Bakula, thrown through time fixing things that once went wrong hoping each time his next leap would be his leap home and it was a simple formula which in the later seasons before it got cancelled it started to play with other ideas such as there's other people leaping through time changing things for the worse and there's a battle between like what appeared to be heaven and hell going on manipulating time well the new series the new pilot which has been commissioned is looking to bring a new team who have been assembled to restart the Quantum Leap project decades after Sam Beckett vanished. The hope is to understand the mysteries of the machine and the man who created it. 
The synopsis suggests that Scott Bakula will be integral to the story, but no confirmation has come out of his involvement, although only a few years ago he was saying how he would love to revisit that character. So I think it's a no-brainer that if he gets offered it, he'll be there. Uh, Don Belisario is returning to produce, and the Gotham team of Stephen Lillian and Brian Winbrandt are showrunners on it, which instills me a bit more confidence in it as well. There are some gripes from some fans online saying that without Dean Stockwell, the show shouldn't come back because he sadly passed away in November. You know, fans who clearly didn't pay attention to the very final episode of the run when Sam went back in time and changed Al's life so he got married and had a normal life and never knew Sam Beckett or got involved in the quantum leap experiment. As much as Dean Stockwell's Al was an integral part of that story, his story was finished, guys. Fans. You're supposed to be fans. I thought you would have noticed this. But I'm up for this. I've, I've been saying for years, Quantum Leap is one of those formulas that they can really play with. And especially with the way that they serialize things now and the interlinked things. I think it'll be more than just episode of the week. And they'll go down the 10 episode continuous arc story approach yeah. instead. And there's a lot of big stars moving into TV at the moment. So while we're staying in the realms of TV, Uma Thurman is joining the cast of a remake of an Israeli series for Apple TV called Suspicion. And talking of big stars moving into the smaller screen, well, can you say Netflix is a smaller screen? Probably not. But Mark Ruffalo and Hugh Laurie joined the Netflix series. This is a prestige drama from Netflix called All the Lights We Cannot See. And while we stay remotely connected to TV, there was a, a trailer for the new dramatic version of the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air called Bel-Air. Yeah. That's an intriguing take on it. Never a series that I loved, but apart from the fact it made Will Smith a huge star. Apparently this all started from just like a little fan, like spoof thing or like a, a, a little spoof thing doing like if Fresh Prince of Bel-Air was a gritty drama and did a mock trailer. And Will Smith saw it and went, that's fantastic. And so thought like how can we expand this this will be great got in touch with them went we want to do this we want to make this uh retell the fresh prince of bel-air as a more serious drama and i watched the trailer thinking oh, I, I don't know what what am i, what am I going to get from this and by the end of it, it was like i i want to see this i right. want to see how this plays out i'm on i'm in for it i love the fresh prince of bel-air um but it is one of those ones that over the years whilst there was a load of comedy there was a lot of good heart and a lot of it tackled some solid issues so to be able to see that from a dramatic point of view is interesting to me. I'm intrigued. I was never a fan of the original series. It was during that period which it kind of passed me by. But I, of course, I know it's it's legend and I know it starred the now legendary Will Smith. But I'm intrigued that they've gone a different route to it. I've yet to check mm. out the trailer. Uh, and last, just bringing it as a comedy. Yeah, doing something completely new and, and different. So it doesn't for fans out there who, who feel as though the fragility of their lives is if something gets changed that they love, <laughs> they're not changing it. They're doing something different. And one last story from the world of TV. Laura Donnelly joins the cast of Marvel's Halloween special. Now, we know Gail Garcia-Bernal will be joining this to play, I believe, the Werewolf by Night character. And Laura Donnelly, we don't know who she's playing yet. But, of course, the speculation can start now. <laughs> and boy will it start uh, back into the world of film Aaron Eckhart has been cast in Rennie Harlan's The Bricklayer which is an action thriller which sees someone who's been blackmailing the CIA by assassinating foreign journalists and making the agency look responsible the agency then lures the brilliant but rebellious operative played by Aaron Eckhart out of retirement to unravel a conspiracy 
generic there's a lot sounds of, it. <laughs> I was say there's a lot of genre just thrown out <laughs> into that one. And and I was more, you know, it's Aaron Hetcourt coming back. We've not seen him for some time. And Rennie Harlan. Wow, Rennie Harlan yeah. once ruled the world. Yeah. Um I I will be having my action deck out from the um card set of movie <laughs> tropes. And I reckon I'll score at least a 9 out of 10 on this one. Uh, sticking with action, Alison Brie is going to join John Cena for Freelance, the new action comedy from Pierre Morel, the director who gave us Taken. Uh, the story on this one is an ex-special ops played by Cena takes a job as a security for a journalist played by Brie as she hopes to salvage her career by interviewing a fascist dictator. A military coup breaks out during the interview and the pair must escape to the jungle with the dictator in tow. Again, it sounds formulaic. It sounds generic, but the comedy aspect allows them to get away with being formulaic Alison and generic. I love Alison. Oh, yeah. She's one of my she, top She's crushes. magnificent. Um, talking of John Cena, have you seen the opening title sequence for Peacemaker? The HBO oh, man. Max series. That is the best opening titles that I've seen <laughs> in, on anything in ages. Uh, they, they've uploaded just the opening titles um, as a video now because there was such a fan response to them saying that was the highlight of the whole episode like first three episodes of peacemaker have arrived in the us on hbo max we've not got it in the uk yet uh, james gunn is promising that it should be coming over soon they're just working out negotiation details on which service is getting it but in the meantime he's uploaded just the opening title so that everyone can embrace how absolutely awesome that dance number is <laughs> I know, I saw it, and I, I, I thought, I'll, I've got to mention this on the show. There's been a few of the clips uploaded. It looks uh, outrageous, as one would expect, from a, uh, an offshoot of the Suicide Squad, including, and I've not seen the clip, where John Cena sings a song that uh, was written by a friend of mine. And I, I've got to, I've heard about this, I've got to get some uh, uh, collaboration on it, but I, it means this, this friend of mine will be doing very well for the next year <laughs> and not having to worry about paying the tax bill. But um, yes, I'm intrigued to see this. I hope they get it sorted. I'm assuming as with most HBO that it will go to uh, either now TV and sky Atlantic. So fingers crossed that it doesn't become one of those series that, that it takes too long to get to us and therefore becomes watered yeah. down because everybody's already watched it and we get to see it on sky Atlantic. Um, also returning to the action genre, Denzel Washington is gearing up for return to the Equalizer 3. I've enjoyed the Equalizer series, and, and Denzel Washington is always one of those stars that has just got such a great screen presence and such an easy screen presence. And I thought the second one in particular, I thought the first one kind of missed the point of what the Equalizer was about, but certainly by the second one it was more in touch with the TV series. So looking forward to a, a, a third outing. I still not watched the Equalizer films and I don't know why. It's not that like I loved the original show so much and I refused to watch it because I don't do that with remakes. I don't, I don't put them off. They've just passed me by for some reason. Um, I do intend to watch them because I've heard so many good things about it. And yeah, Antoine Fuquier is in negotiations to return to make this third one. And generally, he delivers solid action yeah. films. So, you know, I've, I've got nothing against anyone involved in it. It is just literally one of them that's like, I don't know. I, I don't know why I've not watched them. Have you watched the rebooted series with Queen not, Latifah? No. no, I've not. I, no. I, I, I think it's on in the UK. I, I quite liked the original TV series with, with uh, the great Edward Woodward. Uh, funny enough, I watched, um, I watched Hot Fuzz last night. And of course, <laughs> Edward Woodward, I think that was his, his final role. Yeah, uh, it was it was a good series, and, and for the time was was quite different 
So I'm intrigued and I should catch up with the TV version with Queen Latifah, just for the fact that it upset a Tory politician. Uh, Anything that upsets Tories gets a vote in my book. (laughs) The spin-off of the next film in the Quiet Place series, which was going to focus away from the perils of Emily Blunt's family, lost its director last year when Jeff Nichols stepped away from the project. Well, now pig director Michael Sanofsky is currently in negotiations to helm instead. The spin-off is based on an original idea by John Kaczynski, who helmed the previous two films. Michael Bay, Andrew Form and Brad Fuller will once more produce. And on the subject of Michael Bay, I can only assume that Quiet Place films are universally hated after seeing the online response to the next piece of news. Right. Bay, alongside Patrick Hughes and Gareth Evans, are teaming up to bring a reimagining of the the raid for Netflix. So this is Gareth Evans who directed the original? Yes. Evans directed the original film about the Indonesian SWAT team that becomes trapped in a building run by ruthless mobsters. The reimagining is going to be set in Philadelphia's drug-infested badlands and follow the same format. But online reaction has kind of ignored the fact that Evans is involved in this and focused purely on Bay being a producer with the usual expect loads of explosions, blah, blah, blah. Now, I'm not a fan of Bay. I will state that here. I must have mentioned it at least... What episode are we on? 103? (laughs) Must have mentioned it at least 103 times. But as producer, his output has been quite varied. As you said, a quiet place. Yeah. When you look at the so-called hashtag film Twitter out there, who are supposed to be the people on Twitter who know things about films, who are ranting about his involvement as producer on this, they don't actually seem to know the difference between director and producer. And also, let's be honest, this reimagining of The Raid isn't going to wipe out all trace of the original. That will still exist. You can still watch it. You don't have to just watch what the remake is. Let it happen. Best case scenario, we get another Departed level of adaptation because The Departed was a great adaptation of a foreign film. Yes. Worst case, we still have the original. So I'm I'm interested with this. Evans being involved definitely gives me hope for it. Let's see what it turns out like before we start lambasting it. You know, and this has been on the books. This remake, US remake, has been on the books since the original movie came out. Yeah. It was always going to happen. I'm surprised that it didn't happen when it was suggested, what, nearly 15 years ago now? Is it? Is it that long since the raid came out, if not yeah. longer? So, you know, it was always going to happen. Uh, and there are enough people now who won't even know about the original version and will only welcome whatever they're shown without. And that might just mean that they might go back and go, you know, what, I'll go and see the original movie. Doesn't yeah. take anything away from it. You've always got the version that you prefer. The Guy Ritchie directed project led by Jake Gyllenhaal, which focuses on a soldier who was rescued by his interpreter on his last tour of duty in Afghanistan, who then goes back to rescue the interpreter when his family aren't granted safe passage to the US. We mentioned it a couple of months ago, and it was getting shipped around to try and find a home. Yeah. MGM and Amazon have snapped it up. As we know, MGM and Amazon are now owned by the same operators. Yeah. Um, MGM will be doing the cinema release in the US, and Amazon will do the international, whether it'll go straight to Amazon Prime or they'll do the limited one month cinema release and then drop it on Prime is unknown at this point in time. But it's found a home. It's getting made now. So we can sit back and get ready to watch the lovely Jake Gyllenhaal on screen in another action role. You know, a couple of weeks back, as my neat thing, I mentioned I was reading Quentin Tarantino's Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Yep. Well, apparently he's working on another book based in that universe. So I, I, I did say while I enjoyed it, actually, he I can't I, write. <laughs> he can't write. He's not. He's not a novelist. But this this kind of intrigues me a little bit. 
so apparently this time he's going to be um, looking at a book about the actor Rick Dalton, who featured quite heavily in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, the book. Um, but it's going to be, by all accounts, a little bit meta. This is Quentin Tarantino writing a book as Quentin Tarantino about the life of Rick Dalton as an in-conversation between him and Rick Dalton. Still with me? So the book was going to be a, a brief tour through uh, Dalton's career and the events after Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, but as told to an alternate universe version of Quentin Tarantino. Are you with me? You sticking around for it? Uh, as I said, I, I enjoyed it, but it wasn't a particularly well-written book. But I'd be intrigued to see where he, where he does. And clearly he has a lot of love for Rick Dalton. Rupert Friend and Richard Ayoade have joined Benedict Cumberbatch at Dev Patel, Rafe Fiennes and Ben Kingsley in Wes Anderson's wonderful story of Henry Sugar for Netflix. That makes you happy. That makes me happy. I don't need any more information. This this is going to be cut the next regular thing is because remember the last time that they were casting on Wes Anderson every week, we had another three or four names. This will be over the next four weeks. We'll constantly add more names into this mix and I'll get more and more excited. Looking forward to it. And let's round off the news today with the Golden Globes. Yeah, uh, it was nearly easy to miss them because most people tried to. And... Um, <laughs> They didn't get a television outing because of their controversy of having a less than diverse judging panel for what, yes. nearly 20 years now, isn't it? Something like that. Yeah. Well, they played behind closed doors in secret last week. And one of the biggest take homes was uh, Jane Campion's Power of the Dog. Which you love. Which got best drama. It also took home the best performance by an actor in a supporting role. Uh, for Cody Smith-McPhee, who was absolutely magnificent in it, well-deserved, and the best director for a motion picture, Jane Campion. Definitely worth checking out. It's there on streaming to watch. Just get it watched if you've not already. It's a marvellous film. But West Side Story also proved to be quite popular, taking best performance by an actress for Rachel Zegler. Great. She was great. Supporting actress for Ariana DeBose. And also, it got the best, best picture, musical or comedy. The best actor in a motion picture went to Will Smith as King Richard. Pretty, You could have pretty much called that. Yeah, He's playing a real-life character. Of course, they're going to win it. And on a similar note, the best actress in a motion picture was Nicole Kidman in Being the Ricardos. Again, playing a real-life real celebrity personality. But it looks like now the Golden Globes lost its power, doesn't it? Yeah. I mean, it, it used to be a case that people would look at the Globes and think that this is going to predict what Oscar's going to do. And... I'm not convinced that it will. I don't think that Jane Campion's excellent power of the dog will do as well as the uh, the Oscars as what it's done as the Globes. Uh, but we've also got other notables from the awards of the Globes. Andrew Garfield got Tick, Tick, Boom for actor in a motion picture musical. Animated picture, Encanto. Charming film. Beautiful film. Well worth it. Was it the best animated feature of the year? I'm not convinced on that, but it was a great film anyway. Uh, Kenneth Branagh got the best screenplay. That's for Belfast. And the best original score. And I I said that this deserves all the awards as we walked out of the screening of this. Dune, I said as we were leaving that that was Hans Zimmer's best score to date as far as I was concerned. And he's won a globe for it. Will he win the Oscar as well? I think he should do. Probably. I think it's it's his time, isn't it? There are certain, there are certain awards where, you know, you're just waiting for. It's their time. And I think it's time for Zimmer to win. 
for this one. All the other awards were for various TV shows, of which the only one that I want to pull up is the um, the best actor in a television series, musical or comedy, Jason Sudeikis in Ted Lasso. Because if you don't fall in love with Ted Lasso when watching that there's show, something wrong with you. there's something, wrong, something with you. wrong with you. Your heart has died. <laughs> <laughs> you know, when we did our uh, look back over the year and we went through all our favourite films, I'd not seen West Side Story at that point. If I had seen it by then, it would certainly have been in my top ten, very close yeah. to the top of being one of my favourite films of last year. It's a marvellous film. Absolute marvellous treat. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the news. Enjoying the show? Certainly hope so. And this is the bit which apparently, according to... Uh, people are much more clever about podcasts than I am, that people actually dislike. And that's where we ask you to do something on our behalf. What we'd like you to do is head over to your favorite podcast platform, hit the subscribe button if you haven't done so, and hit the like button. And please, please, please leave a review because then we know what you're thinking. It doesn't always have to be positive. Helps if it is. But we're not those kind of guys where we just want adoration all the time just a wee bit of it. If you want to know more about The Film File, all you have to do is head on over to Twitter. Follow us at Film File UK. Head over to other social media platforms, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok. Search for Film File UK. There we are. Or get in touch with us directly. Send us an email. Thoughts, suggestions, films you love, top lists, questions for us to answer on air, films that you don't know the name of that you want us to try and track down and find out where you can watch it podcast at filmfile.uk and become part of the Filmfile family. If you are a regular listener and this isn't your first time, then you know that every week we do a deep dive into a film that interests us, a love, well worth of debate. And this one is a new one for Andy, but boy, it's a film that I adore. I'm going to get that out there right now. <laughs> this week's deep dive is the 1995 romantic drama, the first of a trilogy written and directed by Richard Linklater, and this is Before Sunrise. All right, I have an admittedly insane idea, but if I don't ask you this, it's just gonna haunt me the rest of my life. I have no idea what your situation is, but I feel like we have some kind of uh, connection, right? Yeah, me too. Great, so listen, here's the deal. This is what we should do. You should get off the train with me here in Vienna and come check out the town. We just got into Vienna today and we're looking for something fun to do. Sprechensee English? Yeah, of course, yeah. Because uh, we speak German for a change. Now I'm gonna call my best friend in Paris, who I'm supposed to have lunch with in eight hours. Okay? Okay. Ring, ring. Pick up the phone. Uh, hello? I don't think I'm gonna be able to make it for lunch today, I'm sorry. I met a guy on the train and I got off with him in Vienna, we're still there. Are you crazy? Probably. Before Sunrise is the first instalment of what has now been known as the Before Trilogy. Stars Ethan Hawke and Julia Delpy as Jesse and Celine as they meet on a Eurorail train and disembark in Vienna to spend the night together. Best described as a minimalistic film, which consists mostly of monologues and just casual conversations with extended dialogue as the characters navigate Vienna. Their contrasting ideas and perspectives on love and life are detailed with Jesse, a romantic disguised as a cynic, and Celine, seemingly a romantic, before sunrise beautifully explores time and self-discovery. And it is minimalistic, and it is a very chatty film. But when you want to talk about romance, 
I will point anybody over the multitude of romantic comedies and romantic dramas out there to Before Sunrise because it captures perfectly the moments of falling in love. Andy, you're new to uh, Before Sunrise and the world of the Before trilogy. Are you the hardened cynic or are you the deeply romantic? This is an interesting one for me because I was always convinced that this was not a film for me. And I tend to do this a lot with Linklater films as um, I've got a huge gap in my history of film watching, which are mostly Linklater. But every time that I watch them, I fall in love with them. And the synopsis for this just seems so dull, which is why I've never brought myself to watch it, despite all the praise that is regularly levied at it. For the past two decades, every time someone mentioned the film to me, I looked it up, read the synopsis, went, meh, and just wondered what people found so enthralling about a mundane look at a short time between two strangers. Well, I'm sat here now with complete and utter egg on my face because the film is a marvellous slice of life. It's beautiful, beautiful locations around Vienna that it uses. And the dialogue right from the very first words between Jesse and Celine, I was hooked. The dialogue as the pair get to know each other flows backwards and forth. And I was as engaged with learning about the lives of the two as they are about learning about each other in that short time they spend together. Like you say, it's an exploration of that moment of falling in love. And you, as an audience, fall in love with both of them as they are falling in love with each other. The conversations never felt scripted. It felt like natural conversation. It felt real to me. It felt like I was watching a documentary at times. Yeah. Because it just felt that real. And it's all aided by that wonderful chemistry between the two stars, who are both marvellous. There seems to be a genuine, genuine spark between them that links them together. The setting of Vienna, I mean, Vienna's a beautiful city as it is. And the sumptuous cinematography takes in every splendour of the streets and the public transport. I love the fact that it avoids the typical, we'll sit in a restaurant and get to know each other, or we'll sit in a cafe and get to know each other. No, you sat on a bus, you sat on a tram, you sat on like a big wheel. Yeah, it uses interesting locations to shoot from and making it feel, again, real. And that's what really connected with me is it didn't feel fake. It didn't feel false. I genuinely believed that Ethan Hawke and Julie Delphi were falling in love in front of my eyes. I was captivated by it. Like I say, it baffles me how I've done this with Linklater films, (laughs) that I dismiss them without watching them because he really does have a handle on slice of life drama. Um, It captivates. He tells interesting tales about times of your life, you know, from... Dazed and confused with the, you know, the, the youth. Yeah, we thought about it on the show. Trying to find where you are as you get making that transition from being a, a child to an adult. To, you know, films such as this, which after watching it, the film has sat with me and the characters have sat with me. And I know that I've got the joy of watching two more films because they're already out there. And I wonder how people coped when there wasn't a second film, constantly thinking I want to catch up with those people again. I want to know where they, where they go in their lives later on. At this point in time, it's not a five out of five film for me. I initially rated it like a four out of five, but I can feel it creeping up at the back of my mind. It's like, no, it needs to be more than a four, maybe a four and a half. And I feel that by the time I come to watch this film a second time round, it will be a five out of five film because it's just sitting with me. The characters felt so real to me. They felt like a part of me by the end of it. This film's really personal to me. And it it came out of a time when I was interested in somebody 
um, who was interested in me, but we couldn't get it together. And there was a there was a poignancy to this film that reflected that, reflected those conversations that that we had in it. Even though this was done in one night, in in the reality of, of my before sunrise was over a series of months. Hmm. There's the question of whether these two will ever meet again at the end, which now, of course, we know that they do because there's two subsequent films. But there's this that huge question that's explored in in subsequently in the other the second movie, and uh, and then how their relationship continues. And you know, there's seven years apart between each of the films, and the characters have grown. They're not direct sequels. Now, to go back into a little bit into the production, there was an extensive uh, search to who was going to play um, these two leads, and eventually it landed on Julia Delpy and Ethan Hawke, and they had chemistry. And even though, because the original idea for this was inspired by a true event, the link later met a, a girl in a toy shop in Philadelphia in 1989, and they walked around the city together, conversing deep into the night. And the, originally, the, the screenplay, who the two people were and the city they spent was vague. Then later realized that because the film is so much dialogue between a man and a woman, it was important to have a strong female co-writer. And he brought in Kim Crison, who had a small role in his previous films, Dazed and Confused and Slacker. And according to Linklater, he loved the way her mind worked and a, and a constant theme of confident intelligence ideas. But when Delpy and Ethan Hawke were brought in, they had a big say in the screenplay. Now, apparently, according to Delpy, uh, they brought in a much more romantic ideas and, and they wrote something that actually felt felt more real. And, and therefore, the Before Sunrise that was created was as much about Linklater as it was about the cast. And in the subsequent films, they get writing credits on both of those films. It's a lovely, lovely film. It's a film that never feels, even though it's a film about conversations, feels stilted in any way. Mm. It's a film that feels, as you said, absolutely real. And as we've grown to love these characters and we explore that within the subsequent sequels, as I say, set several years apart each time, we get to learn a little bit of how their life is played out. My favourite is still Before Sunrise, but we we grow with these characters as we grow older and as they grow older our life points of view change and that is demonstrated wonderfully in both the the, the follow-up films i i adore before sunrise it's incredibly personal to me and uh it's just beautifully beautifully done it's not a big film but it has big ideas and it's a, a film that not only has heart it's a film that feels true most romantic comedies and romantic dramas have a, 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 a film. Well, I, I think one good example would be that if this was just your typical romantic drama or romantic comedy, the final scene would have been them racing to the airport to declare their love for each other and then jump, jumping on a plane together and flying off together and living happily ever after. And it's not that film. Yeah, it's not contrived. I mean, even this contrivance that gets the characters together you know, we've all taken that chance on somebody at some point in our life. And that's what happens. It's about taking that chance. You never know whether they actually really, really fall in love. And that's how the, the rest of the films are explored. It's just a single day and it's two characters and we get to love both of them and they feel real. I love how the film starts off focusing on a German couple having an argument Yeah, to show 
that you know that th- their conversation sparks up because she moves seats to get away from like this argument that's going on and they just get talking on the whole basis of like you know one of the, one day they must have really loved each other and that's what love is you eventually get to the stage of hating each other and it's like it shows the contrasting ends of love it shows the falling in love to where you are when you're so comfortable in a relationship that you find annoyance with people and i, I love that contrast i love it completely it just feels like i said so real yeah beautiful i mean it's it's beautifully filmed it's beautifully provoking wonderfully cast i can't imagine watching this film without ethan hawke or julie delphi and especially their input into the film and and you know they wrote the sequels and we explore more of their life together and we explore in in a in a very credible way because the film the second film is about memories and how we think about the first film is that question um, did, mm. did they meet up again? So, Andy, I, I just insist that you see the second and third film and fall in love with these characters again because it's well, well worth it. Andy, where can we find Before Sunrise and the subsequent sequels? Uh, not available for free on any streaming service at the moment. You can rent or buy them on pretty much all major streaming services. Uh, or you can treat yourself to um, the home releases on physical media. Just go to your favourite website or retailer on the high street and pick it up. Um, I will be picking myself up a set of all three because having watched this first film, I've fallen in love with it. And I'll probably try and get like collect everything that Linklater's ever done and finally catch up because I really need to start listening to you, don't I? <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot of good stuff out there. <laughs> so that's our deep dive for this week. We'll be back with another deep dive next week. So I've had COVID for the last week and I've not really been in much of a place to watch anything but Andy he's been out there fighting the good fight he's doing the Lord's work when it comes to reviewing films and he's seen a film that I really want to watch and a film that I'm quite interested in so Andy let's start a cut a swathe with Scream what's your favourite scary movie you're all in danger so what's our next move talk to an expert there's certain rules to surviving. George's motive is always connected to the past. Sid, do you have a gun? I'm Sydney Prescott. Of course I have a gun. Scream. I'll be right back. <laughs> He's dead. Radar. The franchise that started the wave of self-aware horror and meta approaches to the genre is back for a fifth film, but without a number in the title, because this, ladies and gentlemen, is a requel a film in which a bunch of new faces are introduced to relaunch a franchise, but with a few older characters returning to please the old fans. See more recent films such as Halloween in recent years for inspiration. Set 25 years after the events of the first film, and a new streak of murders by a ghost-faced killer has struck the town of Woodsboro. A new group of teenagers, including the staple horror fan who knows the tropes of the genre, realise that someone is trying to relaunch killings as a franchise. With commentary on reboots and sequels discussed early on and how fans get angered by declining sequels that move too far from the source, the in-universe stab franchise inspired by the Woodsboro killings is being used as a reference within the film. The film knows exactly what it is, and it then plays with the very tropes that it mentions. When Matt Bettinelli Open and Tyler Gillett were attached to this, I got excited. After all, they delivered the excellent horror comedy, Ready or Not, in which they showed their love of the genre and the tropes associated with it. Thankfully, they haven't compromised in any way, 
and with Scream, they deliver a great new cast, juggle the returning cast into the mix, and present some bloody and brutal killings at the same time. The mystery of who the killer is plays out well, keeping you guessing for most of the film, even if it does become quite obvious in the final act. But that's kind of the point. It should be obvious because it's playing to the tropes that it's mocking. As with other films in the series, the film knows these tropes. It knows the expectations. And it makes us aware that the characters themselves know them. And then it delivers those exact tropes anyway. Scream is a great reboot of the series. Setting up the new whilst honouring the old. It had laughs, scares, tensions and internal criticism of a genre that has been done to bloody death. Making it feel fresh at the same time. This is the first of the screen films, and I didn't know there was a screen four, funny enough. I, for some reason, it passed me by. But does it reference Wes Craven in any way? Is there a tribute to him? As the end credits start to roll, there's a message that just comes up, just says, for Wes, which just like hit, hit the heart because I felt that Wes, like Wes Craven would have adored this film. It's a great love letter to his franchise. Okay, for your second film is a film that I'm really interested in. I've, I've read the reviews for it. I've, I've seen it out there. I really fancy this. And this is the new one that stars uh, Benedict Cumberbatch. And it's called... The Electrical Life of Louis Wayne. Mr. Wayne, I think you're the first person to see that cats are like us. They're silly, frightened, and brave. You make the world beautiful and kind. Were you painting something? Is something funny, Mr. Wayne? Not at all. Your cat have won you many fans, Wayne. Cat man. Your cat man. A whole cat world. Mr. Wayne, your sister is concerned for your health. Just remember how much you feel like you're struggling. The world is full of beauty. And it's up to you to capture it, Louis. And to share it with as many people as you can. I'm so intrigued by this. Tell me that you liked it, because I really fancy it. Louis Wayne was an inventor, an artist, an entrepreneur who became famous for his images of cats that graced books and cards throughout the decades. But he was also a caretaker to his family. He suffered mental health issues and to all intents and purposes was a financial failure. The film could have easily gone down the serious drama approach, but instead, in a kind of reflection on Wayne himself, takes a sometimes whimsical and comedic and eccentric approach in a stunningly beautiful artistic manner. Cumberbatch, in the lead role as the eccentric Wayne, is on perfect form, as he seems distracted by a mind constantly on the go, uncertain of how he comes across to others, socially awkward and wonderfully creative. His preoccupation with electricity and his belief that we are all connected by the electricity between us is what links his world together. Claire Foy plays Emily, the governess hired to teach his sisters, who's just as eccentric and nervous as Wayne himself, and the pair strike an immediately awkward chemistry, a pure love as kindred souls drawn to each other, making for a singular presence that still sticks around even when Foy is no longer on screen. It is a testament to how solid a performance Foy gives that her character impacts long after she goes. The film is presented in 4-3 ratio, 
It's vibrant in colour and it looks like a piece of art itself, which I found absolutely apt a manner in which to convey the tale of an artist such as Wayne. Every shot could be taken and framed and the locations, sets and costumes all capture an artist's view of the Victorian era setting, somewhat romanticised, but perfect to tell this story. As eccentric as the man himself, the electrical life of Louis Wayne is an emotional roller coaster ride, marvellously played and wonderfully engaging. I'm really glad that you liked it. I, I, I don't know why I'm glad that you liked it. It's just that I've, I, I'm intrigued by this film. I know Wayne from his, his artwork and, and that's about it. I don't know much about his story, but there are some films that when they come out, they, they kind of get under your skin that you think, I really, really need to see this and... Uh, I, I don't know what, what it is about this film, but I'm just drawn to it. So I'm, I'm glad you like it. Is, is it available only as a cinema outing or can I see it on streaming? Um, it's currently only available at cinemas. I'm pretty sure it's going to um, rent streaming rental within the next couple of weeks. And your last film, I know very little about. But again, I've heard just good things about it. So do you have good things about it to say? So the next film is Boiling Point. Just tell him I'm so sorry. Um, I've just got so much going on. Thanks for coming. Let's make spuds. some chips, yeah? Chop some spuds. Yes, sir. Thank you. Enjoy your drinks. Thank you. Service on table 20. I'm allergic to nuts. I'll pass that onto the kitchen. Thank, Thank, Thank you. you. <laughs> How's this? Well done. Keep that up. Keep turning, keep turning, keep turning. Hello, on the door. It's coming, it's coming, it's coming, it's coming, it's coming. OK, look, we've been reviewed on table four. I need you to switch on, yeah? Well, I had no idea you were coming. It's, it's a bit strong, isn't it, bringing it along? This is your restaurant. This is my money. I haven't got it. I can't give you what I haven't got. What am I going to do? Just slice three steaks. It's not hard. Why don't you always give in to her, my man? What do you mean, give in to her? What's your problem? Can somebody help me? Please, bring your nose. I'll feel her. You've gone down to a three. What do you mean? One from a five to a three star. You've got to concentrate. Take oh. breath. Take breath. This is your fault. You don't no, turn no, up no, on no, time. No, you no, don't no, do no. the orders. You come in sneaking the food. Director Philip Barantini's film, led by Stephen Graham, is a one and a half hour intense journey into a kitchen at a busy restaurant. On the busiest night of the year at one of the hottest venues in London, head chef Andy Jones, played by Stephen Graham, must keep things balanced as personal pressure, a visit from health inspectors and tensions between the restaurant team threaten to tear it all down. It's a one-shot take, and it's a genuine one-shot take at that. There's no subtle trickery and cuts here where they use a door or wall to cut away or put a swift editing. This is the real deal, and it thrusts us right into the thick of things, with steady camera work following the team as they race to prep meals, serve, and deal with their personal issues in front of us. Smart moments where we follow one character away from the rest allowed the cast to reset and prepare for the return of the camera on them. But we never feel like they were relaxing between moments and the genuine feel of a busy hospitality venue is retained. The cast are all magnificent and sell the parts thoroughly. Vinette Robinson and Ray Panthaki stand out with fiery temperaments, but even the minor roles all offer moments that pack emotional weight. But it's Graham who really stands out. As our central focus, we see him struggle to hold it together. 
occasionally snapping, but quick to calm things down with apologies. And the final moments give fresh context to the 90 minutes leading up to them. Graham has always been one to watch over the past few decades, but this is a genuine chance for him to show exactly what he can do. Anyone who's ever worked in a hospitality environment will recognize so much in here, from the disagreeable customers that you have to remain polite with, to the co-workers who see it just as an easy paycheck, leaving you to pick up the slack, to the pressures that either push you to self-destructive natures or give you a case of imposter syndrome. It's a look behind the masks that we all put on in order to keep things going. Barantini drew on his own experiences within the world of kitchen and service and delivers a heart-racing, tightly-focused film that stays with you long after the credits roll. This is my first five-star film this year, and it's one that I recommend to everyone. There's never a wasted moment on screen. It's perfect storytelling. I've got a thing for one long shots. I've always admired. I remember pitching a, a music video to Duran Duran about doing it all in one shot. And I've always been fascinated. I love time code. Uh, um, if you remember, I remember time yeah. code and, and, you know, the idea that, you know, they shot everything a couple of times until they got, got the take that they were happy with and they, they tied it all together. And I'm, I'm always intrigued by the long shot. So again, it sounds like you've got a bundle of joy this week and uh, I will do my damnedest to try and catch up with at least one of them, if not all of them. So I'm going to see if there's anything else I can miss over the next couple of weeks by, you know, getting, <laughs> getting a virus that's internationally acclaimed or, or just, you know, life. Is anything else I'm going to miss over the next week, Andy? I feel like I'm missing it all. At cinemas, there's um, Belfast lands oh, this can't week. Wait, these, you know what I've just said about a film that gets that, that appeals to you. You don't know why Belfast yeah. absolutely appeals to me. I, I'm really looking forward to seeing Belfast. And Del Toro's Nightmare Alley also lands this week. Yeah, which has not had as, as much good word as I was hoping for, for Del Toro. But uh, yeah, looking forward to, to both of those. But if you are trapped in the house and can only watch streaming, Now TV and Sky have Mass, Nobody, which I'm going to revisit again. I need to revisit that film. I had a joy with it. And the excellent Supernova, which was one of the looks at dementia that we had last year. Over on Maybe Netflix, if you like your period dramas, Emma lands. And also, there's a film, Munich, The Edge of War, which looks intriguing to watch. Yeah, I'm intrigued by that one. I'm not saying I'm, I'm instantly drawn to it. I, I've seen I've seen it mentioned a couple of times. I must admit, I'm intrigued. But it's all over on Plus This Week, when Fraggle Rock, Back to the Rock, <laughs> the new Fraggle series lands. And that's where my life is heading this week. <laughs> Fantastic. Expect me to be dancing my curves away with my woodies for another day on the next episode. <laughs> if only you could see what I see. Anyway, folks, that's it for this week. Thank you as ever for joining us. But before we go, and we do this every week, so you should know by now, we don't go without telling you about our neat things. Things that we've watched, read, filmed, ate, you name it. As long as it's neat, we get to talk about it. Andy, your neat thing. For this week so my neat thing for this week is a new game well it's an old game but a new edition a new edition and expansion for that game and it's the tabletop game gloom i've just got the kickstarter pack through for what you funded last year for gloomier which is their latest version of the game which adds more rules in and this is atlas games who have given us a great wealth of gloom games now for those out there going what are you on about andy what on earth is gloom gloom is a card game where you sit around a table and you have a family of characters that you want to 
give miserable lives to and kill off and score the lowest points possible in order to have the family that had the worst life around the table. Sounds twisted. It kind of is, but it's also quite funny. Uh, your cast of characters, the cards are beautiful because they are transparent cards with just symbols and like numbers on them that when you stack them on top of things, only the, what you can see through the stack is valid. So you'll have positive effects, minus effects, etc. on the cards. And you could have played four cards on top of one of your positive effects, but it's still showing through, so you can still get that bonus. But each of the cards that you play on your turn are to do with the story for the characters, either the ones in front of you or your opponent's ones. And there'll be things like bitten by badgers or um, fell in love on the lake or was was crucified by the queen, things like that. And that will be the name on the card. And they'll have little modifiers. But as you're playing them, rather than just going, oh, I'm going to play that card on you, I'm going to play that card on you, I'm playing this one on mine, the game encourages you to tell a story at the same time. So you say, oh, well, you know, this young boy went to the circus and he always used to love the circus. But then something went wrong. And one of the clowns, there was a fire juggler and the, the fire landed on top of the clown and the clown started screaming in pain and burning and ran towards this young boy. And so he was traumatized by a clown. And yet that gives you the negative modifier. But it's the encouraging the storytelling. And when you've got a good group around the table and you're all adding to the story and then you're picking up on the story that someone else's characters have come up with that they've added to throw back at them with a different kind of modifier. It's one of those games that just brings you together because you're enjoying building this story of everyone's characters together while trying to kill your characters off at the same time. It's fun. It's dark. It's witty. If you think, if you were ever to play a game, an Adam's Family or Monsters style of game, card game, this would be it because it's that kind of dark, twisted nature. I love the Gloom franchise. And there's Gloom, there's loads of different Gloom ones. There's Gloom Fairy Tale. There's Gloom. Gloom of Thrones, which is a, like a, a loose adaptation of Game of Thrones done as a Gloom card game. Loads of variations. I've collected about six of them so far, but with my Gloomier box set, I got a box to store all the different decks in. So now I've got loads of space to fill the rest of the decks. I've heard of Gloom. I've, ne I've never played it. I've, I've heard of them. It's the fun storytelling aspect which really makes it stand out even more. The, the game mechanic is great, but it's the interaction with each other that makes this one of my favourite games. Okay, because I've not uh, left the house, I have been doing a lot of reading and I've been on a bit of a Stephen King kick uh, over the last year or so. And, and this is a, a collection of his short stories that came out in 2020. And this is called If It Bleeds. And it features four previously unpublished uh, novellas by King. And the stories in the collection are Mr. Harrigan's Phone, The Life of Chuck, if It Bleeds and Rat. So out of these four stories, I've read three of them so far. And you know what? It's just great King. I, I, I prefer his novellas and his short stories sometimes to his novels because he gets into the action uh, a, a whole lot, lot quicker. Uh, and the one thing that, you know, you can you can talk about Stephen King, you can talk about his faults that he does sometimes overwrite and, and go on far too long. But when he gets a story right, his writing style is so damn good he's, he's he's just just a great great writer now he's got some books which are absolutely classic some which can be a bit forgotten some which are are just okay but you can never take away his writing style he's got such a, an, an amazing involving writing style so uh the first story and this is mr harrigan's phone which is a, i think is about to be made into a film 
Uh, it's about a young guy who gets a job with uh, a retired Mr. Harrigan who gifts uh, uh, Craig the, the, the young boy with the title, uh, lottery tickets. And in exchange, after winning, he gives Mr. Harrigan a mobile phone and they keep in touch. And it's it's a lot like a stand-by-me story until there's a, a supernatural change about halfway through that keeps you guessing. Uh, Life of Chuck is, a, is an odd one. Uh, it starts with basically the end of the world and we are drawn to this character, Chuck, in a mysterious way. And we go back through three parts three acts to this story uh, that we understand who the Chuck of the title is. But the the uh, the reverse order of it makes it an intriguing story that never really reveals what the mystery is. Um, I've not read Rat yet, but I am up to If It Bleeds, which stars the, the character Holly Gibney. Now, if you've read um, the Mr. Mercedes books, so Mr. Mercedes, Finders Keepers, End of Watch, or The Outsider, then Holly Gibney, uh, a private detective, features... In, in all of those books and uh, um i kind of now see her by the portrayal in the outsider and and so far that's been absolutely fantastic so very very similar kind of a sequel to the outsider right i'm um yet to read but i'm having such a blast getting through these that i, I just can't wait to get into the last part and uh, i've now ordered the second and third part of the mr mercedes bill hodges trilogy um when king gets you he just gets you and you, you cannot put down any of his any of his stories. And he's such a superb, superb storyteller. As I say, sometimes the novels can be a little over asked and, and go on, a, you know, 100 pages too long. But when he's doing short form storytelling like these novellas, boy, he gets it right. And that's my neat thing for this week. If it bleeds a collection of four previously unpublished stories by the great Stephen King. And that, folks, is it for this week. Uh, we'll be back again with another film file next week. Thank you, as ever, for joining us. We love doing this, and we love having you in our lives for this, I was going to say hour, but it's sometimes <laughs> a heck of a lot longer unless you're listening to the radio version. Uh, any plans for the week, Andy? No major plans, just uh, watching more films and preparing for next week's deep dive, which is going to be into um, the Lord of the Rings trilogy. So there's 12 hours of my week <laughs> already taken up. It's almost... <laughs> Your week's almost panning out for you. Hopefully, I'll be uh, I'll be back in the world. As I say, I'm not feeling particularly sick. I've just now got to wait and make sure that I'm uh, I'm not contagious. But what that means, who knows? Hopefully, I'll be joining you for one of the films that we've mentioned that opens this week. Yes. And Andy, people always talk about how love is totally unselfish, giving everything. But if you think about it, there's nothing more selfish. 